You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, faith, hope, and love, these three are the things that the devil attacks because these three are the things which define our lives as Christians. First, that we are believers, that we have faith in the Lord's promises, that we trust in His Word, that we that we know that, in fact, our sins are forgiven. That's what makes us Christians. We are justified by grace through faith. Faith is our uh, the thing that saves us. Faith is the thing that makes us well. Faith is the thing that, that prevails before God the Father because by faith the Lord decks us in the righteousness of Christ. He clothes us in the perfection of Jesus, the blood of Jesus by faith. The blood of Jesus washes away all of our sins. So that's going to be the devil's first attack. The first place he puts his energy. If he can steal away our, uh, steal away our faith, like the bird snatching up the seed before it even has a chance to be planted in the heart, then he's got us. The unbeliever belongs to the devil and to his kingdom of darkness. So he comes to cause us to doubt God's word. He tempts us to unbelief, to think that the word is for someone else. This promise of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the savior, the devil attacks in every different way. We talked about that last week. But when the devil fails at the attack of the, uh, at the attack of faith, at the point of faith, he doesn't stop. He continues attacking and assaulting us. If, if faith is the front door and the devil can't get through the front door, then he sneaks around back to try to get in through the back door. And that is the devil's attack on love. The devil attacks the Lord's gift of love. It is the, the gift of God that we should be set apart as Christians in this world to love one another. In fact, Jesus says it like this. Remember, he says, uh, they will know you are Christians by this, that you have love for one another. Love, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he, and he answered and he said, love. Remember, he said it like this. What's the greatest commandment? He says, the greatest commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, And the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says in in Romans that love is the fulfilling of the law because love does no wrong to the neighbor. So the Lord sets us in this world that we would have lives of love. Love is the fruit of faith. It's It's the fruit that grows on the tree when the word is planted in the heart. So the devil wants to attack, like he does always, all of God's word, and especially the word that sets us to love one another. And I I think, and it could be more than this, but I think that the devil attacks the gift of love in three particular ways. He attacks the gift of love first in our own minds, and then he attacks the gift of love in our own lives, and then he attacks the gift of love by causing us to become angry. So first in the mind. The devil comes along and he wants to um, redefine what love is, give a different definition of love. In fact, the devil loves this. He wants to use love. He wants to set love against God's commandments. Um, One of the most common ways, this, this is some six commandment stuff here is when you, for example, just talk to the couple that 
are thinking about moving in together before being married, and they say, well, surely it's okay, Pastor, because we love one another. Well, love can't be used against the commandments. In fact, we want to understand it biblically that that love, in fact, is shaped by the commandments. That's what true love is. We, in fact, we could call it this. We can call it truth love. Love that is righted and corrected by the Ten Commandments. The love that's given shape by the Ten Commandments. In fact, it's, it's just a good thing for us to meditate on, this, this reality that, that there are different shapes of love, different ways that we love one another. There, there's a, a, a unique love of husband and wife, which is why the sixth commandment is so exclusive. You shall not commit adultery. There's a general boundless love according to the fifth commandment that we care for each other's bodies. We don't let each other be hurt. You shall not murder. There's a family-specific love in the fourth commandment. Honor your father and mother. And even there's a different shape of love for the children, for the parents, than there is the parents for the children. There's a third commandment-shaped love. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, which means that my, my love for you as your pastor means that I come and preach to you and give you the Lord's Word and the truth of the Scriptures. And your love for me is that you listen, or at least try your best to listen. <laughs> if, I, if I loved you according to the fourth commandment kind of love, you would say, that is... If I took you guys shopping to get you all new pairs of shoes, you would say, that's strange. (laughs) That's not what the love of a pastor is supposed to look like. That's the love of a father, and so forth. So that our love is shaped according to the Ten Commandments. That's how we know what, what true love is, because it's truthed by the Lord's Word. So the, so the first way that the devil attacks love is he comes along and he redefines it. He gives us a different definition of love. He, he says that, well, whatever. I mean, it comes in all sorts of different ways. But he says that, that if, you have this, if you have affection for one another, then it doesn't matter if you're married or not. Or um, that if you, if you love someone, then you don't tell the truth. Or whatever. The devil tries to use uh, this word love against the commandments, and that is a lie. So we, f- we fight back against this first attack of the devil on our love by simply meditating on the truth of the commandments and the vocations that we have. Remember, this is in the, uh, in the small catechism when Luther is telling us what we should go and confess when we go to confess our sins. He said, consider your station in life according to the Ten Commandments. That, is just, that little phrase right there is an, is an amazing phrase. This tells, I mean, this, this little, your station in life according to the Ten Commandments, that little phrase tells you so much. When you wake up in the morning and you wonder who you should pray for, that little phrase answers that question. Well, what's your station in life according to the Ten Commandments? You pray for that, your, your family and your, your neighbor and so forth. Or what should I do today? What should, what, what should my day be filled with? Well, what's your station in life according to the Ten Commandments? Or what do you repent of at the end of the day for your sins? Well, what's your station in life according to the Ten Commandments? And this gives us a right understanding of what love, in fact, ought to look like. But then there's a second attack, because even if we know what love is, we often don't do it. This is Every time we sin, it's a failure to love God and or our neighbor. Every, so we can say that just so we have it really clear. 
that every sin is a failure to love. Love, Paul says, love does no wrong. When we do wrong, we are not loving. Now, one of the ways I think the devil attacks this, it's just, I mean, basically every temptation to sin is, in a, is, a, is the devil attacking our own love, the command of us to love. But one of the ways that he, do, that he does it, and I see this, I hear this in, in sermons. It's really bad. People say, well, you know, Jesus says you have to love your neighbors yourself. That means you have to learn to love yourself first. Have you, have you heard that? I, this is, you have to learn to love yourself first, which is just the most ridiculous thing ever. You already love yourself. You naturally, instinctively love yourself. Now, someone says, well, Pastor, what about someone says, well, I really, I really hate myself. I hate, you know, what, what, I hate the way I look. Well, if you really hated yourself, you would be happy that you're so ugly. Did you see how that goes? In other words, like a self, a, 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 a self-hatred is a, is, is a, a manifestation of your own self-love. We just naturally love each other. We don't, we take care of, our, sorry, we naturally love ourselves. We just, we take care of ourselves. Uh, so when I, I noticed this one time, it was with Isaac, who was sitting with me on the couch, and we were watching, I think, a Rockies game, or at least I was watching a Rockies game, and he was sitting next to me. And I got thirsty, and I stood up, and I went to the kitchen, and I got myself a drink, and I came back to the couch, and I sat down. And then Isaac said, Dad, could you get me something to drink? Could you get me some milk? And I said, <laughs> Like it was some huge burden. Now, he, now, the amazing thing, I realized it just like a flash, the amazing thing, is that Isaac was asking me to do for him just what I had done for myself without even thinking about it. It was no burden to get up and get myself a drink. But when it comes for someone else, then it's now our sinful flesh stands in the way of this whole thing. And this is what Jesus means when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. It means you shouldn't even have to think about it. It shouldn't be a burden. You just, just like you, you're thirsty and you get yourself a drink or you're hungry and you get yourself something to eat. You're sleepy and you put yourself to bed. You're, you're cold and you, and you go and you put a jacket on yourself. You don't even think about it. It's not a burden. Just like we love ourselves, so we should love and take care of each other without even giving it a second thought. That's, that's how natural our love should be for one another. That we should have a, 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 a selfless compassion for the other person. Even a willingness to, to, that, that puts the other person's life ahead of ours so that we stand willing to die for them at, at every moment. Jesus says no one has a greater love than this than that they lay down their lives for a friend so that we have this selfless love and we have a dying love. And it's when, it's when we consider this, this requirement of love, that we realize what a, um, what a hard word the commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. That command is so high that it's always going to be showing us, like a mirror, it's going to be showing us our own sin. There's never a time, we've talked about this, but there's never a time that we can, we can go to bed at night and, and say, well, today I did it. Today, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Check. Or today I love my neighbor as myself. Today I poured my life out for them like Jesus did. No, there's never a single day. So that this, this word love is the harshest of laws. Even though it sounds like a beautiful word in our ears, it is the most stunning word of law. It demands so much from us that we can never fully complete it. That's why, 
by the way, the Lutheran fathers always talk about the beginning of love. The Holy Spirit helps us to make a beginning of love, but it never comes to an end. It's never perfect until the resurrection. So the devil tempts us to not love our neighbor. And then, and this is an amazing sort of thing, when we fail to love our neighbor, the devil uses our sin against our neighbor to again fight against love. This is the third attack. Remember, first on the mind, second on our actions, and then third with anger. The the devil wants us to sin because he uses our sin against us to harden our conscience, to separate us from one another, to take the joy out of life, to give us a guilty conscience. The devil uses our sin against our own sin and our own guilt against us. But the devil also uses our sin against each other. So that not only, and this is an important thing for us to consider, not only are each one of us sinners, but also each one of us is sinned against. It's what it means to live in this life with sinners. That we're sinned against, that our neighbors fail to love us in one way or another. This happens in church. It happens in our homes. It happens in our neighborhood, in the city. It happens in our families. And what happens when we're sinned against is that we become angry. It's, an, it's, an, it's a natural reaction to being, I mean, it just is what happens when you're sinned against. You get angry at the person that sinned against you. But this is what happens. That anger starts to settle in. And, and, now, and now when I'm angry at someone, I've, I've, made, I've justified, I've made it right in my own mind that I don't have to love them. In fact, we can define it this way if we want to, that anger is justified lovelessness. So that I know Jesus has commanded that I have to love all of my neighbors. He said, love your neighbors yourself. So that means everybody is there to be the object of of my love. But when that person sins against me, I say, well, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve my love. Look at what they've done to me. Look at how they've hurt me. Look at how they've wounded me. Look at how they've spoken bad about me. Look at how they've uh, sinned against me. Look at how they've, uh, whatever. Look at how they've harmed me in one way or another. And, and now I say that because, because they've hurt me, because they've sinned against me, now I don't have to love them back. Now, it could be that you're right. They don't, that person does not deserve your love. But we don't love our neighbor because they deserve it. We love our neighbor because Jesus said, love your neighbor. That's why. Can you imagine if we only loved the people that deserved it? Or or think of it this way. Can you imagine if the only people who loved us are the people that we earned their love? That's how that's not how Jesus has set you into this world. He's not Jesus did not say when someone sins against you, you don't have to love them. But see how the devil does it. Someone sins against someone else, that person becomes angry, and then they sin back against the other person who then becomes angry and sins back and it just it's worse and worse and worse and all of us every single one of us has people in our families that are not talking to each other because of this 
Look at what they did. Look at what they said. Look at how they acted. Look at how they looked at me. Look at how they stole from me. Look at how they abused me. Or whatever it is, now they don't deserve my love. Now I don't count them as my neighbor. Now I feel good about sinning against them and about treating them wrong or whatever. I don't have to love that person because they've sinned against me. And when the devil attacks through the back door and he makes us angry like that, and this anger starts to settle down, sink down as bitterness, then he's got us. He's in the back door. Hebrews says that anger, when it settles in, becomes a root of bitterness. It's like a, it's like a, a tr- it's like a tree that gets planted under the sidewalk, and eventually it grows, and the, and the sidewalk cracks. Or it's like the roots that get into the sewer line. And start to clog it up. That's, that's what happens to this bitterness. And the thing that happens, I think this is the danger, we don't even realize it. While we want, so, so the spiritual danger of anger and bitterness is, is like this. Because while we want and desperately need the Lord's mercy to forgive us, when we become angry, what we're really saying is, I don't want the Lord's mercy to extend to that person. I, I, I might want to be forgiven myself, but I don't want them to be forgiven. I want to be covered with the blood of Jesus, but I don't want them to be covered with them. I want to be died for. I want to be saved, but I don't want them to be died for. I don't want them to, say, to be saved. And the devil might not attack the, the, the gospel through the front, but he attacks it sneaking in the back door like this. Now, this is why Jesus gives very specific instructions for what we are supposed to do when we are sinned against. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Love your enemies. He says, even in that same sermon, he says, even the Gentiles love the people who love them. That's no big deal. But you are different. You are a Christian. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a God who bled and died for you. So Jesus says, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. This text is very easy as long as you don't have enemies. The command to bless those who curse you is very easy to keep as long as you don't have anybody who is cursing you. It's easy to do good for those who hate you if there's not anybody that hates you or to pray for those who spitefully, did you hear? I mean, spitefully use you. The people who are spitefully using you, who hate you, who are cursing you, who are your enemies, who are sinning against you constantly, Jesus says that you are to love them, bless them, do good to them, and pray for them. In other words, do not let the devil destroy your love. Do do not let the devil, by sinning against you, take away the blessing of beginning to keep the commandment of Jesus. 
there's something really quite wonderful that, that the Christian who's called to love their enemy and bless those who curse them, there's really something quite wonderful that happens in this loving and blessing and doing good and praying. We remember in the Garden of Eden that the, that the Lord God comes and says to the devil that the seed of the woman will crush your head. That is, that the Messiah will crush the head of the devil. And we know that that is fulfilled in the death of Jesus on the cross. When Jesus died for our sins, he destroyed the devil. He crushed his head with his foot. But Paul, at the end of Romans, says that through our own good works, the Lord Jesus is causing the devil himself to be trampled under our feet. That Jesus lets us share in his victory over the devil, and he does this through our works of love. Through your loving your neighbor, through your loving God, through your loving your enemy. He does the work of crushing the devil and overthrowing his kingdom. You are not saved by your works, but the devil is destroyed by them. Which is really quite wonderful. So as we set about beginning to love and serve our neighbor, we are fighting against the devil who wants to take it away. Now maybe one last word about this love. Because as we hear, and we talked about this already, but as we hear the Lord's command to love, we say, Lord, I have failed. None of us, again, none of us have loved like we ought to love. None of us have served like we ought to have served. All of us have gotten angry. All of us have people that we do not want to love and bless and pray for and do good for. All of us have failed to live up to this standard. In fact, that is true for all people except one. Your Lord Jesus, who loves you with a love so perfect that his love carries you through your sin and your lovelessness, through your coldness and through your death to be with him in heaven itself. Where our, where our love is only begun, his love is finished. It's complete. It's perfect. Jesus says, no one has love, more love than this than he laid on his life for his friend. But Jesus, while we were still the enemies of God, gave up his life for you. And so while we find our life for our neighbor in the Lord's command to love, we find our life in the Lord, not in our love for the neighbor, but in his love for us. John says it like this. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You are the beloved of God. You are his treasure. You, even even in your failure to love, you are the object of the Lord's affection. And Jesus loves you. God be praised. That love, at last, overcomes the devil and sin and death and brings us to life eternal.
God be praised. Amen. And the peace of God that passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.